life can be challenging. With all the demands put on us by work, family, as well as Christian ministry, it is easy to feel overwhelmed. The Bible tells us to reach our world for Christ, but it's a big world. And when the challenges of leading our communities to Christ are bigger than us, it is easy to feel discouraged and overwhelmed. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by Jesus's great commission to go into all the world and make disciples, you will want to hear Vicki Hitzkiss, Nathan Norman, and Kent Edwards discover how Jesus's example of doing ministry encouraged his disciples in their ministry. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all of our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Gospel of Mark. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, as we join their discussion. Perhaps the best-known sermon of all time is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In that, he says to his disciples, you are the salt and light of the world. What does he mean by that? Well, salt is a preservative, so uh, okay. they're preserving the world, and light, uh, they're illuminating the, the darkness of this world. It's like turning on a light when you come into a dark room. Hmm. So we are responsible as believers to keep our society from falling into sin. Yeah, doing a good job of that so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and also to bring light to the entire world. Yeah, yeah right? that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So... Have you always felt adequate for that task? Uh, No, ever. (laughs) (laughs) It it feels at times, at least for me when I read that, that's a God-sized task is given to very ordinary humans, right? You you just look at families, right? And like, (laughs) you can't even control your own immediate family or or, be salt and light to them at times. And you're trying to preserve them. They're like, nope, I'm going to go do this awful sin here. Bye. (laughs) You're like, okay. And then Jesus is like, okay, now now go and do that in the world. Oh, (laughs) my success rate isn't huge, Lord. (laughs) That feeling of inadequacy that we have, we're not the only ones who have ever felt that. Back in Mark chapter one, we saw last week that Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the good news of God. In fact, in verse 15, he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Well, I I think Jesus' audience, but I'm thrilled to hear those words, the kingdom of God has come near. Why? Why would Israel be so excited to hear Jesus' message that the kingdom of God is here? Well, I mean, they are under Roman occupation to start off with, and that's never fun, <laughs> you know, being under anyone's occupation. I mean, just ask any teenager, right, when they're around 16 or 17, <laughs> they just can't wait to get out of the house. And, and they're, they're, they're occupied by loving parents uh, versus, versus Rome, which is taxing them, which is uh, not allowing them to expand, not allowing them to inhabit all of the promised land. They're, they're abusing them. And uh, and causing them to turn against each other, uh, so yeah, they're very they're very dissatisfied. They they can't wait for the kingdom of God to come so that Israel is back on top, so that they can be again the masters of their own destiny and uh, no longer be oppressed. 
Sure. The kingdom of Rome was uh, defined as a kingdom of evil. All manner of wickedness was, was present in Rome. And the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God promises God's reign, God's rule, his righteousness. It's a complete moral transformation of our world. That's great news, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you happen to be one of those 12 appointed apostles we noted last week, because they were called to join him in the task of bringing in the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. So they were his men, his people, his group that uh, he was entrusting to be a significant part of bringing in that kingdom. What kind of men did he choose? How would you describe some of them, Vicki? Well, they were, I'm assuming they were probably coarse guys because they were, um, you know, I'm stereotyping here, but they're fishermen. They weren't, they weren't guys who, uh, if they were alive today, would have gone to Harvard. They weren't, (laughs) you know, guys that kept their shoes polished and carried the Wall Street Journal. They were, they, they were guys that were home by a campfire and probably had stubble and smelled bad and were comfortable with four letter words, I'm guessing, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, probably storytellers and exaggerators, guys, guys. I think as um, far as I know, none of them had um, great formal education. I think you're right with that. I don't know if um, any of them had any significant financial resources at all. They were just ordinary working people, didn't have great connections. You know, they didn't uh, know influential people particularly. And they were being asked to help bring in the kingdom of God, in spite of, as we saw last week, enormous opposition. And while Jesus encouraged them on that storm by reminding them that he would be with them, I think they would have found the ministry God was calling them to overwhelming. It would have been difficult. And in chapter 5, Jesus recognizing that, encourage them once again. In chapter 5, verse 1, we read that after Jesus saved them from uh, sinking out on the, uh, in the boat in the middle of the night, the next morning they arrived across the lake uh, to the region of the Gerasenes. Nathan, do you know anything about this place? I mean, it specifically mentions this place. Why? Yeah, this was a Greco-Roman colony, so it was not Jewish neighbors across the pond that were were not uh, friendly with their Jewish neighbors. Uh, very pagan, though. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of idol worship, a lot of false god worship, demon worship. And, and in most likelihood, it, it probably housed uh, a significant portion of these mystery religions. Hmm. And so in Roman culture, when you know, they, they had, I don't know, something like 230 plus holy holidays every year to worship all these very varying gods. <laughs> and it was, it was very, it, it was very corporate feeling we would say today where you just went to these, these, these things and you went through the motions and people wanted something deeper and because we're told in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in our hearts. And mm-hmm. so they wanted to go deeper. And of course, uh, they went the wrong way. And these mystery cults would pop up. And we don't know too much about them because <clears throat> they're mysteries. <laughs> and you weren't supposed to talk about what they were. I do know that the cult of Mithras 
Uh, we do know something about that, and I don't know if that was what was happening here, but but uh, we do know mystery cults were were uh, pretty large in this area. But in the cult of Mithras, uh, they would dig a giant ditch. Uh, the the new convert would go into the ditch under the cover of night. All of the mystery cult members would surround it. They would put planks over the ditch, and they would put a bull on top of the the ditch. So this is very expensive. They'd sacrifice the bull. And in the name of these demons, these false gods, they would uh, allow the the blood from the bull to permeate over the person. And uh, and the idea was that they would absorb the blood and absorb the power of the bull and, and absorb the power of these false gods. This is a wicked place. Yeah. So this is an area unique in Israel where the God of Israel was not being worshipped at all, right? No, no. So they have deliberately, intentionally gone to the dark side, which um, <laughs> explains the first guy they met when they landed on the island. Vicky, help us get to understand the uh, the person they met, starting in verse two. Okay, it says when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. That's weird, right there. <laughs> I used to live next door to a cemetery. I can't imagine somebody living out there. Mm. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Woof. Yeah, no kidding. That, uh... That sounds out of a horror movie, doesn't it? Sounds like a scene from a bad movie. Yeah. And the strength he had was, he was so strong, supernaturally, he could do what? What did that say? Remind us, Vicky? Well, he'd been chained and he tore the chains apart. I mean, hold that in your head. And he broke irons on his feet. Can you think of anyone in the Bible who had strength similar to this? Samson? Yeah. And where did his strength come from? From God. From the Lord, right? It was the Spirit who filled him and gave him strength. So this man is also filled with the Spirit, but an evil but spirit. Evil spirits, yeah. An evil spirit. And his strength is legendary. I mean, no one could tame him. Obviously, people had tried, right? And no one could get a hold of him. He, his supernatural strength was beyond anything. And this is the kind of community that was on this, this region. This is a community that was anti-God, open to the evil one, and the evil one had ensconced himself in this community and in this man. <laughs> You're the disciples. Jesus says we're heading over to that place to do ministry. If I were him, I'd be saying, gee, I hope that he doesn't leave me behind. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> How difficult would it be to bring the kingdom of God to a place like this? Oh, I wouldn't really want to get out of the boat. And <laughs> well, I mean, I think of my gift as evangelism, but there, there are sometimes there are people just waiting for you. And then there mm -hmm. are people that you just think, I, you know, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And I mean, you think about the people that live here, their presuppositions are totally different. Totally. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to start from like scratch. You have nothing to share the gospel with them. It's a clean slate, and they believe total lies uh, that that are absolute truth. And uh, you're gonna have to tear those things down to to build up uh, to build up the truth. So I think the disciples were looking at Jesus really carefully. 
saying, what in the world are we going to do here? And what in the world can you do in a place like this? Maybe like toddlers, uh, you know, in the the skirts of their mom, right? Like just (laughs) hanging on right behind her at all times, you know, like I'm sure the disciples were like, just hold that, like, all right, Jesus, (laughs) you go first. (laughs) So, but what happened so surprisingly when this man saw Jesus? In verse six and seven, what does it tell us? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. (laughs) So here is a guy who is the scariest, most powerful man on this island, clearly deep into this uh, pagan religion. And and what does he do when he he just sees Jesus? What does it mean? He knew who he was. He had a lot uh-huh. of reverence for him, and and he didn't want to be tortured by him. Yeah, That's you, kind of interesting. Yeah, you'd think you'd run away, right? Yeah. Right. So instead, he does what? I think he surrenders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just, he just surrenders. So why would he surrender and not run away? Or why would he surrender and not try to do battle? Because he knows Jesus is so much more powerful than him. There's yes. no hope. Right. The only hope he has is surrender. And Jesus takes one look at this man and he asks him a question. Look at the question and answer. He says to him, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So he wasn't just talking to the man. He was talking to a multitude of demons inside of the man, which explains why he was so powerful. Yeah. The presence of evil is uh, is so strong here. And and he begs, please have mercy on me. And if if it will, uh, as if he's saying, please have mercy on me. And then an unusual event took place. I mean, it's really strange. What happens next, starting in verse 11? A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. (laughs) He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Whoa. That is just the weirdest story. Can you, I mean, just picture this, really and truly picture this. Here's this guy that can't be bound by chains. They're all afraid of him. And then he begs Jesus not to hurt him. And then and then he begs to go into a herd, not just a herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs. <laughs> and then the pigs race over to a steep bank. They jump over the bank and they drown. Imagine all those bloated pigs bobbing up in the water. What oh, the a weird screaming. story. If you've ever yeah, heard pigs screaming. screaming. Not just one, like one is horrible. It sounds like a murder. But thousands of them? I, I mean, just, just it, ha- it, pig- it has to echo the sounds of hell itself. And pigs are big. They're and big. And strong. And two, there's 2,000 of them. I can't even, I've seen a pig, I mean, I've seen a pen with, four pigs in it. And they're, I mean, it, it takes up a lot of space, yeah. but 2,000 pigs, how many is 2,000 pigs? My God, that had to be a lot of pigs. Do you think the and, pigs- and, okay, so they, don't, they don't want Jesus to hurt them, but then they go and voluntarily jump off a cliff. That's a weird <laughs> right. story. Well, but do you think the pigs wanted to drown? 
Well, the pigs didn't, but I mean, it's the demons talking. Right. Well, they go kill themselves. That's weird. Yeah. So Don't hurt us. Let us go drown ourselves. That's just a weird <laughs> story. So, Nathan, what's the significance of Jesus allowing, of sending these evil spirits into the pigs? Why pigs? Well, this is not a recipe for deviled ham. Uh, <laughs> I just want to apologize to all our listeners. Just, yeah, yeah, me just too. Total, total dad, dad joke. <laughs> we are having another child, so I'm getting into the dad joke uh, territory. And congratulations, here. by thank the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, a, a few things. I mean, pigs are unclean animals in mm-hmm. uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so he's sending the unclean spirits into unclean animals. Good point. Uh, also, also it, it's interesting that uh, pigs are not herd animals, right? We, we'll often say in the West, oh, it's like herding cats. Uh, you might as well say it's like herding pigs. Pigs just don't, like, they don't move. Uh, you can only coax them with food, and you can't get them to move in groups. That's why, Vicky, like you were saying, there's there's like four to a pen. Uh, they don't they don't herd like sheep. They don't herd like cattle. And yet, hmm. this 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 image of all these pigs moving in one unison. I mean, it, it, I, I think really the significance it's showing us how these evil spirits are working of one accord. It shows us how destructive they are, and what they wanted to do to this man and anyone they came into contact with was utter destruction. Uh, hmm. They wanted to destroy this man. They wanted to destroy his community. And they finally get into these pigs and they destroy the pigs. But in addition, how did they use these pigs? What was the purpose of breeding them? Were these for pork chops? Uh, not deviled ham, no. Uh, in most likelihood, they were using them for sacrifice. Of course. So these were religious pigs that were going to be used as pig sacrifices in the worship of satanic gods. Right? Right. Yep. Oh. So they wanted to escape and Jesus let them. Oh, there's method in Jesus' madness. There's method in Jesus' madness. Look what follows next in verses 14 to 17. It says, The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Mm -hmm. So what happened when everyone saw and heard these 2,000 screaming, drowning pigs? What in the world is going on? Right? Right. They all came running. What could be more powerful than our gods? What could be more powerful than this untamable man? Something weird is happening here. And what did they see? Jesus. In all of his power, the same Jesus that calmed the storm. They saw God in the flesh. And when they saw Jesus, the holy God, we read in verse 17, the people began to what? To plead with Jesus to leave the region. Wow. Yeah. They knew they weren't ready to be in his presence. They could stay with the demon-possessed man, but this Jesus, there was something way different about him. They didn't know how to handle him. They just knew they couldn't exist in his presence. Well, and their their whole religion was to appease their gods and to to try to placate them and to try and uh, bribe them into giving them power, right? Mm -hmm. And he he just walloped them. From their whole understanding, they're like, oh my goodness. 
like we've we've had to bend over backwards so these demons don't kill and destroy us and now this man just snaps his fingers and they're gone right what now please leave so the demons wanted to go into the pigs jesus wanted them to go into the pigs for different reasons they wanted to be <laughs> inhabiting something right. he wanted the world to see who he really was he wanted this community to see him in action and they did they came running what is if you're the disciples you'd be thinking wow this is amazing good thing jesus is here because there's nothing we could have done i'm glad i'm not alone they would stay behind jesus skirts right absolutely but then jesus does something else something i think for the benefit of the disciples he tells them starting in verse 18 it says as jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him mm -hmm. as you can imagine but jesus didn't he said to him go home go to your own people and tell them how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and so the man went away and he began to tell in the decapolis how much jesus had done for him and the people believed him. That shocks me. And all the people, it says, were amazed. Hmm. But they must have known about him. Well, he was famous, I think, or infamous, right? No one could control yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, they must have known. If I said, well, you wouldn't believe what happened to me this morning. <laughs> I was in chains in a cemetery. <laughs> and this guy came and drove out demons and put them into 2,000 pigs. And they jumped over. People would block me up. Yeah, but it's small town mentality, right? Like I have in our well, small town, yeah. right? We have there's a, yeah. a woman who is an adult foster care and she wanders around town all the time and she's harmless and lovely mm -hmm. and wonderful mm -hmm. and you talk to her, but but every every everyone knows who she is. Like everyone knows mm -hmm. everything about her and her story and oh yeah, I ran into her and that's kind of the same thing here, right? Small town mentality. Oh yeah, that demon possessed guy over there, right? Like oh Jason. Oh, oh he's, yeah, people in towns right, away. That's know. a really good point. They know. Yeah, so then when they see him, they're like, wait a minute, haven't I run here, away from you before? Here it is, two thousand <laughs> years later on another continent, and I know this guy. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about it, it's so surprising that Jesus left this man behind as his evangelist. Absolutely. You'd think right? I, if I was the disciples, I'd be like, okay, well, here's disciple number 13, which I guess he was demon possessed. So I, that makes sense that he's number 13, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be a good father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but think of the ways that he is unqualified to be an evangelist for Jesus. What does he lack? Well, he didn't know anything. Yeah, he has one day's experience. Training, uh -huh. theology. One day's experience. Jewish background, Jewish history. Never been to Bible school. So what degree does he have in evangelism? Well, he doesn't have a degree, no. but Jesus <laughs> Jesus touched him. That's a pretty, pretty good <laughs> on your resume. <laughs> so why, why would Jesus leave him behind? Why would he say... I don't want you to come with me. My purpose for your life is to tell your story to your people. Well, he has firsthand experience. He has seen God in action and he knew exactly the power of God. He knew it firsthand. He knew it, he could tell it, and they understood him. He was from their culture, right? Right. Mm -hmm. He was part of their religion, right? 
Yep. Right. And he dramatically was transformed by the gospel, correct? Yeah. And they would know that. And they would know that. No one can mm -hmm. deny that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had no course in evangelism. But Vicki, you're the evangelist. If you were to give this man some advice, how should he tell his people about Jesus? Well, if you're going to give a blow by blow, it was it. If you're going to tell your story, it's here's who I was, here's what I heard or experienced in his case. Here's how I'm different. Man, right. he's got he's got all of that in spades. In spades. <laughs> I mean, I was in a cemetery. I could break chains. <laughs> Jesus came along and touched me. Here I am now. This is the real deal, and everybody would believe it. I mean, he, he'd have a better track record that way than Jesus. There, there would be no 75% wouldn't listen. They'd all listen. So what is Jesus' strategy for winning the world? It's when we share the gospel with a person, allow God to touch their life. We have not only saved their soul, and we have when they accept Christ as their Savior, but what else have we created? A built-in evangelist. Mm. That person can share what Christ has done in their life in a way that will reach their community for Christ. You're the disciples, and Jesus has given you a huge mission. I want you to be pivotal players in bringing in the kingdom of God around the whole world. You don't feel adequate? You feel overwhelmed? Yeah, they did, just like we do. We're given this task of reaching our community for Christ. And many times that's not easy. We feel overwhelmed with the task and all the opposition. So how do we succeed? I think we follow Jesus' strategy. He didn't try to do everything all at once. Notice there was no massive crusades. What mm. he did was he reached one person with the power of God and transformed their life and utilized them as evangelists to tell their story to others in their own culture. How do we eat the elephant of God's enormous task? How do you eat an elephant? One bite, a at, bite a time. at a time. How do we win a culture for Christ? One person at a time. Yes. Don't worry about the whole community. Focus on a person. Who do I know? that I can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to lead them to a saving knowledge of him, have their life transformed, and that they can join in the ministry. The disciples were seeing they didn't have to do all the work. Every time they led someone to Christ, that person was part of their team. That person was a missionary. That person was an evangelist who could share their story with their culture. Look, it is uh, easy to become overwhelmed. It is easy to think that the job is too big and we are inadequate. But I think Jesus here sets an example for his disciples and for us, that even in the most difficult of situations, if we can bring the power of God, release the power of Jesus' gospel in the lives of just one person, and then one person, and then one person, we can start a movement that will transform cultures for Christ. To me, that's encouraging because I need help to accomplish God's task and the help we need is available one person at a time.
That's how you eat an elephant. That's how you change a culture. If you want to change the culture with the gospel of Christ, start with one person and start today. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the Gospel of Mark. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>